Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we're starting off today with a new legislative guru. Ivy Riggs, one of our lobbyists here at OEA (laughs) and former teacher and coach, is also joining us uh, to talk about the legislative session. Um, Almost done. So close. Uh, Let's start with the COLA. Tell us what happened. Um, The governor signed it. All the things. What's going on? Yes. So let's start seven years. No. Um, <laughs> we, the, we really have been at this for seven years. That's I've been crazy. at OEA for almost eight. This is my eighth session. Finishing Today we'll finish up my eighth session. And we did not fight for a COLA the first session because we were uh, trying to salvage our pension system itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But beginning the next year, we have been fighting for this COLA since then. So this has been a long time coming. Our members have fought so hard for this. The governor signed it yesterday, so it goes into law. Uh, as of July 1st, every public retiree that's been retired at least two years will get a raise for the, for the first time in 12 years. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. Um, and, you know, we know that, that the COLA didn't cost the state budget anything. Correct. It's it's coming out of it's paid for by the funds themselves, so it's not actually costing us anything. Correct. It can, it will come out of the pension systems themselves, and you know it was proven by actual experts that those <laughs> systems can afford that. Yes. Um, this is this was our sort of uh, white whale of a goal from Together We're Stronger. We've been right. You know, th- the past three years pushing those things, and last year, the two hundred dollar check is nothing. I mean, it was yeah. something. It was something, but. It, it was one time and not yeah. sustained. And, right. And this is something that is a gift that's going to keep on giving. Yes. So exciting. Um, so today is the last is, is today the last day of session. What's happening? Well, it doesn't have to be. Uh, statutorily, uh, the 29th, the, the last business day of May has to be the last day of session. Okay. But if they get their work done today, I do believe they will adjourn. So what are they doing today? Today, they're going to go back in and... Uh, on the agenda are seven bills that they plan to override that the governor vetoed. He vetoed another 15 bills this week. Wow. And they've, they, they have not chosen to veto every single or uh, to override every single thing he has vetoed, but they have chosen uh, seven more in addition to the four budget bills they overrode previously. That's a lot of overriding. <laughs> it is uh, historic. Yeah. So is there anything that we're watching today? No, not really. I mean, there are some, uh, you know, budget adjacent bills that that I think probably will impact everyone in the state. Um, You know, there was uh, some some broadband issues, rural broadband Mm -hmm. task force, some things like that, that, um, you know, I think will will better us as a state should they pass, but nothing education related that that we are... uh, really watching closely today. So let's talk about this session. It is so weird. The weirdest. <laughs> the weirdest. But they they were in session less than 40 days, but we but we got some good stuff accomplished in that right? short time frame. We really did. We really did. You know, we normally would would leave session with a list of probably a hundred education bills. And to be honest, not most of them not necessary, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, reforms, if you will, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
tracking and, and things like that. And so that list is much, much smaller. Accountability. <laughs> but but one of those Breaker. is a huge accountability bill, uh, House Bill 2905 that uh, was signed into law. Representative Sheila Dills has worked with lots of folks, including mm-hmm. us, uh, to get that bill with more accountability for our virtual schools and how those dollars are spent. So remind everybody that about that transparency bill. It has to do with attendance it does it does it's going to increase uh the threshold of what attendance is Mm -hmm. in a virtual setting virtual education setting um uh, really uh, better define what an assignment would be Mm -hmm. and really increase how many assignments a, a child would have to complete in order to really be uh, fully attending a virtual school. Uh, you know, our fear has always been that actual education isn't taking place in many cases. Right. Uh, if if you don't have an involved parent at home that's really monitoring that, it's real easy for a kid to, to yeah. be lazy. And that's the nature of kids, right? Yeah. And so there just wasn't near enough accountability I, in that system. I think about myself as a student, it would be disastrous. <laughs> right. And they were counting 100% attendance on an Epic. And about 17% graduation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, so. <laughs> but also the there's a part about transfers and that is going to help our schools with their mid year adjustment. Can you explain that part? Definitely. Uh, we know that students that enroll in Epic are leaving and going back to their neighborhood schools and yeah. then going back to Epic because uh, they don't really want to be held accountable. You know, things like that yeah. uh, for for lots of different reasons. And so the mobility rate is much much higher than even our urban schools where we talk about mobility being an issue. Right. And so. You know, for every transfer, you know, there has to be a a period of time for a kid to catch up and get settled before actual education is taking place. So this bill will limit that transfer to one to Epic and one back in a school year period. And so I think uh, I think we'll see a little more stability for those students and in our schools. It's it's real tough to track those kids. And I think a lot were falling through the cracks. I think that's going to be so much. I mean, that's to me, that seems like a student focused solution because that's not good i mean it's i mean mobility is a challenge for any any student and you know we talk about especially in our urban districts or you know you can move quite a bit and that's going to be helpful for those kids no matter what so um what else is what else are we looking at this year what are the good good things you know, I think probably one of our biggest wins was uh, having uh, Senate Bill 407 mm-hmm. yes. die a natural death like it should have. <laughs> um, you know, we've been we've been fighting this Equal Opportunity Scholarship for a couple of years. Vouchers. Eva- vou- voucher <laughs> tax credits is, is uh, kind of a way to describe that. And uh, the governor pushed it to the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is funny because when he was campaigning, he was against vouchers. Correct. So correct, and, and on camera saying that, and he actually had a veto message. One of his vetoes was because now is not the time. And it wasn't education related, but now is not the time to take from the coffers of the state, and we don't want to give tax exemptions. So fascinating. Uh, it does seem somewhat hypocritical that uh, that he wanted this version of a tax credit of a voucher. So uh, it died. Uh, we're certain it will come back, and we will just continue sure. to fight it. And that's, I mean, that's been a two-year fight. And our members have been on it with that, pushing. So when it comes back in a future legislative session, it'll have a different bill name. It will. Bill number. It will. 
and 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 they will continue to attempt to uh, improve the public school side in order to sell the private school side and and that's part of that game and we'll just keep watching Ah, copy paste copy paste what else is what else are we you know bad things so so we anticipate session really ending today i think Mm -hmm. they'll override some vetoes who knows if the house and the senate will come together on all seven of those bills Mm -hmm. but regardless uh there won't be anything sent back to the governor so i do believe they will adjourn today if they get all their work done and then we can look ahead to elections i mean that's that's kind of what we've been waiting on i was gonna say now that session's over we can just take a break (laughs) never just kidding just (laughs) kidding campaigns and elections always (laughs) not in an election year for sure so we're about what five weeks six weeks out we are right at five weeks out i believe yesterday was 40 days which does not sound like it's long enough that's not i don't like that we're gonna (laughs) no and with you know covid and all of that campaigning looks totally different than the usual door knocking and sweat equity that we put in definitely definitely uh primaries there are uh there are four senate races and 22 house races that will be decided on june 30th period there is no general election so those those will be decided and candidates are not allowed to be locking knocking doors they are uh, really trying to reach their constituents in a in a new and different way and i that is a challenge as it will be for us to reach our people to let them know uh who who the best pro uh, pro public ed candidates are and that just blows my mind that's like one in six races are going to be decided in the primaries definitely and if you add that to eight senate races and 42 house races that had no challengers that are yeah. already decided yeah uh, really the general election is uh is not as uh, it, it won't have as big of impact as as it has in the past just because of those numbers so what does that look like for us as an organization well i think it looks like we better get our stuff in gear to <laughs> uh to really affect the primaries um, that that we we've been having over the last week, we've been having some Republican primary prep zooms with our with our Republican members, uh, because so many of those races, uh, twenty six races, are going to be decided in the in the in the primary. Most of those being Republican races, yeah. uh, only three will be Democrats. So um, we've got to make sure that the pro public ed candidate of the of the choices in those Republican primaries are the ones that get out of that race it's just i'm i it's such a short time frame it just feels like such a short uh couple of weeks before a lot of things are going to be set for the next two slash four years right and we talked about trying to take some time off and you know relax just a little bit but no just on you yeah that's not gonna (laughs) happen well, thank you so much for joining us, Ivy. We really appreciate uh, the work that you and the rest of the legislative team has done this session. You guys are awesome. This morning, we're going to take a look at one of our um, most active member groups, the OEA Black Caucus. Um, we're joined this morning by Lawrence Lane. Good morning, Lawrence. Hey, good morning, Carrie. And uh, Melanie Ford. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, Before we get into uh, the Black Caucus, Alicia, can you kind of give us a big picture about what OEA caucuses are and what they do? Absolutely. So our caucus system are special interest groups Mm -hmm. within education. And, um, you know, because the the elected leaders of OEA can't know everything about every subject. Yeah. And so we have caucuses that get together and they talk about 
things that are important to them and their group. Mm -hmm. And then they bring those those things to the forefront for all of us. Great. So let's so let's talk about the Black Caucus specifically. Lawrence, um, why why does OEA have a Black Caucus? What is what what do you guys do and why is it important? Well, Carrie, I think it's very important to have a, a, a unique group like the Black Caucus because we represent certain special interests mm -hmm. within the OEA that sometimes can become overlooked if we don't have people who have vested interest mm -hmm. in that particular caucus. So I think it's very important that uh, the OEA recognize that there are a divergent group of people or divergent group of members mm -hmm. uh, within the association. So, Melanie, why you're you're a newer teacher, correct? Yes. So, why is this something for you to to get involved when to get involved with early in your career? Um, I believe it's important for networking for mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to start with because as an OEA member, I get to network with people from all over, but being a caucus member even narrows that network down a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, it's people like Alicia said that are like-minded. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I have a concern about something specifically that might pertain, pertain to something um, to do with the Black Caucus, such as African-American teachers mm -hmm. or uh, students, then I have someone that I can go to and network with to try and figure out a solution to a problem that I might be having that I feel like I can't go to anyone else about. That's awesome. What What are some of the uh, accomplishments of the Black Caucus over the last couple of years? Well, let me try and address that, uh, Alicia. Over the years, and I got involved really with the OEA Black Caucus when Charles McCauley, a former associate executive, mm -hmm. was on staff at OEA. And uh, I sensed uh, uh, something that needed a voice. And uh, for us who were uh, a black uh, members of the association, uh, he was kind of a go-to. And as mm -hmm. a result, we started a scholarship fund. That's something I'd like to see us get back involved with. Uh, we offered scholarships to uh, primarily uh, African-American students who may not have uh, the resources to attend a school. Mm -hmm. So that's something that uh, we've been involved in. Of course, we've been involved in trying to recruit uh, more minority re uh, more minority teachers, certainly yes. trying to increase the number of minority staff members, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are some things that uh, we've been involved in. And just uh, being more involved in the association in terms of uh, networking, as Melanie said, and, and learning more about the association. Why do you um, why do you think um, that and Melanie? This question can be for you. Why do you think that having uh, an organization like the Black Caucus within OEA makes OEA stronger? Why is it a healthy I feel it, thing? I feel it makes us stronger um, simply because, like I said earlier, you have like minded people. Mm -hmm. um, although those all of us who are a part of OEA, we are all like minded in a lot of ways. Um, I feel that having that presence of a black, the black caucus there helps. Um, there are always issues that, like Alicia said earlier, that, um, people at the top might not know about. Um, you might not know about issues that African American teachers are having in the classroom or mm -hmm. teachers of color in general would have in the classroom. And that's something that we can bring to the forefront and mm -hmm. we can make OEA aware of 
the issues that maybe we would be having or maybe things to improve um, certain aspects of the classroom or of the organization as a whole. And we saw that a couple of years ago at at our delegate assembly when the Black Caucus brought forth some resolutions uh, just so that the that the body as a whole is more mindful of white supremacy culture and race relations and mm-hmm. things like that. Right, Melanie? Correct. That is a prime example of it. And we um, talk, we're always in talks about different ways to make things better for teachers of color and black teachers um, to in the classroom and just as a whole. So to kind of scale it down then, Lawrence, why do you think that it's important professionally? Um, what is it about being involved in something like the Black Caucus or any of our other caucuses, like the Hispanic Caucus or um, LGBT, anybody? Why do you think that is important professionally for you as an individual? I think professionally as an individual, I think it's always important to belong to organizations that are more like-minded, that think like you do, that may have a different perspective. And I certainly have found that out in belonging to the uh, OEA Black Caucus, as well as the NEA Black Caucus. The NEA oh, Black right. Caucus, yes. I've been a member of that uh, since, uh, uh, well, since I became involved in the OEA. Uh, it, it, again, goes back to what Melanie alluded to. It's, it's a networking uh, type of thing where mm-hmm. you know that you can contact someone in another school district, another state, mm-hmm. that may be experiencing uh, similar problems or a problem that you had not heard. Maybe I don't want to call them problems. I think they've been buzzed. We'll just call them opportunities. Mm-hmm. But there are opportunities that I think uh, different caucuses have that maybe the majority wouldn't have. And I think as a result of that, the caucuses stand out as that voice of reason sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if if a person wanted to get involved with the OEA Black Caucus, how would they how would they do that? Well, of course, we have a, a website. Uh, the OEA website uh, uh, has a uh, has a Black Caucus webpage. Mm-hmm. It's okea.org slash Black Caucus. That's okea.org slash Black Caucus. And uh, Kelly Roberts is the president. She consistently posts things on the page almost daily, sometimes two or three times daily. Just interesting tidbits. Interesting yeah. information regarding what's happening uh, in the Black Caucus. Well, great. Well, thank you guys for um, all of your involvement, OEA and in the Black Caucus. And thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us about it today. We appreciate it. Thank you. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. So a few weeks ago, we had all member check-ins where we had Zoom calls for each zone and heard a lot of great feedback from our members about what your needs were in relation to distance learning, how OEA could help. And from those conversations, we developed professional development and have been um, offering different professional development uh, every Wednesday, sometimes on Thursdays, not just us, but in conjunction, we had a social emotional learning uh, program last week with the State Department of Education Mm -hmm. that was fabulous. So um, we've also done some different advocacy work, 
thought of negotiations um, language to help our members as we move through uh, all of that. So um, next week, we are going to have a second set of check-ins. Um, they will be, we'll have a set for local leaders who are presidents and first contacts, and they can invite a couple of people uh, to join them. And then we're going to have uh, our education support professionals have a meeting together, and then early career teachers. So uh, if you are in those categories, look for emails uh, that will be coming out today and For this one, we're going to be discussing safe and healthy schools. What does that look like? How does that affect us in our different job categories? And and what will school look like when we come back? Um, Carrie, you've got the dates for those. I do. Um, So for our... um presidents and local contacts southeast and northeast all of eastern oklahoma will be at 4 p.m may 27th the um, metro areas oklahoma city and tulsa will be at 6 p.m may 27th and then the next day we've got western oklahoma leaders southwest northwest at 3 p.m may 28th and then our new educators they're at 5 p.m may 28th and then support professionals will be at 7 p.m may 28th Fantastic. So we have all those set up. So uh, so like I said earlier, look for an email. We'll also be texting mm-hmm. uh, as many people as we can mm-hmm. next week. Uh, not on Monday because we're on holiday. It is a break. It is a nice <laughs> break. And so we will be sending out those text messages and um, and and we really want folks to get on these calls and give us some feedback because from your feedback, we're going to set up a survey that's going to go to all members. I'm really interested. I'm so excited to see what I'm very interested to see those results. I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm excited about the calls and the survey. I just think it's going to really direct, you know, our advocacy and what we offer. And I'm, I'm very interested to see what everybody says. Yeah. And you know, our, our teachers and our support professionals are the ones on the ground doing the work. And oftentimes their voice isn't asked for right when the big decisions are being made like right. what platform will a district use mm-hmm. well that really does affect our teachers right. in the classroom and like we were talking about student nutrition if you if you have a you know if you're having scaled back where maybe you have a b days or you have half your kids come one day half your kids come the next day you're going to be doing half of your meals in the lunch line and half of your meals pick up and like i mean it's just major logistical things and and teachers and support professionals cannot be left out of these conversations absolutely so we want to hear your voice and then um as local leaders support professionals and early career educators and then we want to hear everybody's voice yes june 1st through 9th on that survey that's going to be going out all of our members we are going to encourage you to please fill out that survey so um Anything else, Carrie? I just as a parent listening to these conversations has just been eye popping. And um, especially early, I have a, have a going to be fifth grader, going to be pre-K or going to be kindergartner. And I always appreciate, especially elementary teachers. I don't know how you guys do this. Godspeed to you. But we were just, I mean, just the number of times kids sneeze on you. 
right? I mean, just the, you know, they're still learning. It's They're still learning appropriate social, like, space. You know, they're in everybody's business anyway. And social distancing, it's just, there just seem to be a wealth of questions that everybody's trying to solve. And as a parent, I'm just grateful that someone else is solving them because I have no idea. Like, Right? It's just so complicated. And, and as the small group of us met yesterday, just to talk about, you know, what, what will it look like? What yeah. questions might there be? And who does it really affect? Right. And it, it's every single person that works yep. in a school yep. is going to have some form of change in right. how they do things. And, and, and we can't even imagine right. all of that. Right. And it, at the end of the day, um, everybody that works with kids wants our kids to be safe and well, and they're going to be just unique challenges that nobody's ever faced in their career. Yeah. And I just, it's, it's so massive. And so I'm very interested to see what people say on the calls and what the survey shows, because our, our members have awesome ideas and I'm, I'm just so interested. I'm so interested. So it's going to be great. We'll see. So, well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. If you have another platform you'd like to see on Fried Okra on, or if you have any other questions, reach out to friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.